you know, I can go all around the league and find good defenders. I just don't think any of them are as good as me. I don't think the game's Welcome to Triple Zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buck. Call to be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports website, clockersports.com, and the email address is clockersports at gmail.com. That voice you heard was one Draymond Green telling you why he is the best defender ever. We're going to talk about that in a second, but first, we have to recap all the crazy happenings of uh, Thursday's trade deadline around the NBA. <laughs> Players are moving. Wasn't as active, I guess, as maybe some would like, but it was much more active than I think many expected, given the climate of the lost revenue from last season and no fans or limited fans uh, in most arenas. I think people were kind of expecting somewhat of a timid, tame uh, deadline, and it was that for most of the day, or for most of the, the, the lead up to it, I guess I should say, the two days prior. But right around the time, you know, about 9 o'clock Central, Started seeing things pick up. Um, it went from being like a lowly Kings and Cavs deals being made to the Bulls going ahead and taking a giant swing for the future um, in the present, really, by trading Wendell Carter at two first-round picks and Otto Porter Jr. Uh, to the Orlando Magic for one Nikola Vucevic and one uh, Al Farouk Aminu. Now, the centerpiece of this trade is, of course, Vucevic. The All-Star is having one of his best seasons of his career and goes to the Bulls now to join a second All-Star in Zach Levine, giving Levine his best teammate and I'm probably ever. Um, if I'm if I'm thinking correctly, I don't know if there's anybody who you would even say comes close. Um, on top of that, the Bulls were able to flip Chandler Hutchison and Daniel Gafford to the Wizards for Troy Brown and Mo Wagner. They subsequently flipped Wagner for Daniel Tice from the Boston Celtics. Now that gives them Brown and Tice for some solid defense in the second unit. Um, to go along with now Thad Young, who will be pushed to the second unit due to Lowry Marketing's, uh resumption of the power forward, starting four role next to Nikola Vucevic. Now the Bulls' five-out uh, offense is going to just be something to watch. Uh, you heard talked about a lot in media yesterday that in the offense that Billy Donovan runs, the big is supposed to be a playmaker, and Vucevic is definitely a guy who's, uh, who's adept at that, averaging over three assists per game. He's averaging 20 four and 11 or something like that, like double digit rebounds. And the last time the bulls had double digit rebounds, I believe was Oh five, whatever the year was, it was Paul Gasol's Paul Gasol was the last one to do so. And it was uh last time the bulls made the playoffs just to tell you how long ago that was. So uh, for these reasons, I, I made the bulls, my top team uh, for clocker sports, my number one winner at the trade deadline in the NBA. So go ahead and check that article out. Clockersports.com, the winners and losers of the 2021 NBA trade trade deadline, Bulls top-notch, man. Top-notch. Have to be. I don't know how you can look at this team from the past few years, see what they did yesterday, and not feel like they won the day. Now, granted, it's all on paper. Um, Doesn't guarantee them a championship at all. I don't think they're a contender. They're definitely a playoff team now, but contender, no. What it does do is legitimize everything that's been happening for the past few months. This is an organization that for the past 20-plus years, or close to 20 years, rather, has been toiling around anonymity and mediocrity. They got lucky with Derrick Rose, but they've done everything in their power to kind of uh, usurp the 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 nature of this franchise for so long. Um, they tweeted out a picture yesterday. The Bulls did, actually. Bulls tweet, social media handle of Vucevic in a Bulls jersey as a child. 
And all I could think to myself, and I actually ended up tweeting it out. Again, follow me on Twitter, at Josh G. Buck. All I could think to myself was, let this be a reminder. Or, oh, I'm sorry, what I tweeted out was, let this be a reminder that there was never any reason for the Bulls to not operate like the global franchise that they are. And what I meant by that was we've seen, like I said, for the past close to 20 years, that franchise be run like a small market team. It's really been my gripe with a lot of Chicago sports teams. But um, Bulls and Bears have been the tops in that regard. Operating like an expansion team, a small market team. This is market three. You should behave like it. There should never be a moment where this team is is concerned about its future and how it's going to look. There should always be some kind of a plan, be it cutting edge or trying to go back to the well one more time. But there needs to be a plan. And for the longest time, there just wasn't one, no coherent one, at least. And in such a short time, we've seen what good coaching can do, what sound leadership can do. And honestly, we've seen what this roster can do and what, if I'm being completely honest, what they can't do, which is why you see them being moved around. Now, this is not done. Um, as sources around the league have been saying that the Bulls are not done, they'll be trying to pursue a point guard in the offseason. They did not get a deal done for for Lonzo Ball. The Pelicans rejected the offer of Lowry marketing for Lonzo Ball. Now, I don't blame them at all. Lowry's having a really rough season. Lonzo's having a breakout year. Doesn't make much sense. Now, both will be restricted free agents in the offseason, and if neither is in the long-term plans of their organization, it would make sense for both to try to sign and trade and see if they could figure it out from there. Point being, for years, I have been talking about the limitations put on this roster, on this team, rather, by the drafting of players who were safe. High floor, low ceiling guys. Wendell Carter. Lowry was a bit of a reach or a bit of a, a gamble, but not as much as, I guess, some other picks in, in, in other drafts. But point, my point is that in a short time, this new regime has come in and basically cleaned house of all of the old negativity that was there from the last, from the last era. John Pax is still sitting up there on his perch in his in his advisor's role, so he can he could pat himself in the back for getting the hell out of the way. But they were awful, like flat out awful, because in in six months, a year, this is a completely different organization now, and maybe it's not as as uh, highly thought of yet around the league as it is locally. But it's got to start somewhere, and locally is the best place. You were getting apathy from fans. You were getting disinterest. You were getting hatred. People were upset and mad. And now I'm telling you, if you were on social media yesterday, the the amount of outpouring of support for this Bulls team and what they're about to do, or what they did yesterday, and what they could do in the future. Good stuff. Good to see. Some other deals that I liked and didn't like. Um, and again, uh, check out that article, 2021 NBA, that trade deadline winners and losers on clockersports.com. Um, Winners, a couple of winners, Aaron Gordon and uh, and uh, Victor Oladipo. And I didn't name my name. I just called, I mean, I did in the article, but like the headline was disgruntled players. Two players that didn't want to be where they were um, had been vocal about it. Finally get resolution and, and, and to places that I think will benefit them greatly. You got Gordon going to Denver where he can just be the ultimate glue guy, fill in defensively, rebound, score the, the cleanup buckets, right? Protect the perimeter. You got Oladipo going to Miami where they're going to they're gonna work. If he's not healthy, they're going to find out soon. But you know what the goal, you know what the mission is there. You know that everybody's pulling on the same side of the rope there. And hopefully he wants to be there. He's a closer. Vic is a closer. I, I am very high on Vic. If you know, a few months back when he was uh, going through his whole thing with the bubble, I had said that he was smart because he had gotten paid and was able to sit home. He ended up going and play down in the bubble and now all this and got injured again and 
all this other turmoil happened after the fact. So he should listen to me in the first place. <laughs> but I think Vic's a certified closer. And to go down there with Jimmy in that environment is something that will give the Heat a legitimate shot at returning to the finals. Um, they're heating up now, but nobody's picking them to go back to the finals. Anybody picked them to go to the finals last year. So this, I think, is a move that's highly underrated. And I, it's not underrated because people are talking about it. And one that people are talking about it, one, one move that people are talking about that I am, I don't want to say not high on, but just kind of in, in, in the middle on right now, is the Rajon Rondo to the Clippers. Now, it has the potential to be the most impactful move out of all of them. We know the Clippers have had long struggles with uh, fighting offense at times in games. The two best players, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, are often tasked with handling the ball too much in addition to their defensive duties, and so that can uh, cause the offense to get bogged down. And then some of the other guys, there's just no natural playmakers. The only scorers they have are guys who are capable of getting their own shot. Right? PG and, and Kawhi can do it, but that's not their that's not their game. You get Rondo, who that's what he does. And so my trepidation just is just that while I know what Rondo brings and while I know he's, he can do his game, uh, as my brother likes to say, he can play his game until he's 40, it hasn't always worked out for one reason or another. And so I don't know that just, you know, sliding him in there and saying, oh, boom, there it is, best move ever, best move of the, of the, of the deadline is a given. Because if it was, he wouldn't be going on, what, 18, 8th team, 9th team? I think it's his 8th team. That's a lot. That's a lot. And while Lou Will is not the same guy that he was a couple of years ago, and shouts to him for going back to, to Atlanta, he can go to Magic City and get all the wings he wants, they are losing points off the bench. And so I think they're, they're kind of hoping that they're going to get some of that playoff bubble rondo where he was dropping timely threes as, in addition to his playmaking and, and, and solid defense. But that's a, that's a high-risk, high-reward move right there. So maybe that's why I would qualify. I put it as a caveat in the article, but I could qualify that as a high-risk, high-reward because I see the point. I definitely get what they're trying to do. I just, is the trade-off worth it? Is the fit going to work? Because this is a team that's had chemistry issues in the past. You could say it's all Montrez, but is it? Was it? I, who knows? Well, I guess we're about to find out. <laughs> I do like the fit. I just, I, it hasn't always worked for Rondo. And so that's why I'm just like, I can't, I can't automatically say that this is a great move because it's not like they were, like they needed that much improvement. They didn't need to get better per se. They just had to be built better, constructed better, if that makes any sense. Talent-wise, they had the talent, just didn't have the facilitator. Um, also, that's a pretty steep price for Rondo, right? Because he's, he, I mean, we're, we're basing all this off of his playoff run. And so we're kind of uh, uh, pushing aside his regular season stats. I just I just think that that's a lot to to gamble on for a guy again going on his eighth or ninth team. The one that I really didn't like, and I'll just say this, and it's not that I didn't that they did something I didn't like. I said they didn't do anything, and that's the New York Knicks. Um, they traded for Terrence Ferguson. They got rid of Austin Rivers. Meh, absolutely my, and it's so disappointing because this is a team that's been struggling for years to be relevant and finally found some with Tom Thibodeau, Julius Randle, RJ Barrett's having an ascending year to do nothing to leave this roster as is. Remember when they got all those power forwards and that was the whole thing was that they're, they're, oh, they're going to quarter the market on power forwards, man. When you need a four, then you're going to have to go to the Knicks because the Knicks got all the fours, man. They got them all. Well, what, what happened? 
The Knicks are are the fan base is rabid. The organization has been troubled in recent years, but they were really having a good year. Now they got to face the a top ten toughest uh, strength of schedule for the rest of the season. You know what Thibodeau's going to do with the players' minutes. And on top of that, they've been getting by with having the 28th ranked offense, 28th, 27th, their bottom of the bottom of the wrong offense by having the top ranked defense. That's a razor thin margin. Razor thin. I love what the Knicks are doing. I love the scene that they're having. I love Thibodeau. Thibs is one of my favorite coaches. His personality, just the the intensity in the, in the exhibition match. I love it. But that's that's muddy waters, man. That's a gamble. Not doing anything? That was the time to strike when the iron was hot. And they sat on their hands. Again, Austin Rivers is out and, and Terrence Ferguson in, but maybe they're banking on them not, you know, of them not fully reaching their, their peak yet, but they're they're alternating wins the past few. I think they're under five hundred in March. They're like four and six in March. I don't know. With LeBron James out and Joel Embiid out, the MVP race has been basically jokers to lose. Um, uh, basketball reference gives him a 40% chance of taking home the award this year, but you've got a couple of, of, of off names you know, out of the, the mainstream names, and they're not because their names aren't mainstream, it's just because nobody's really talking about them at large. James Harden and Damian Lillard. Now, I don't think either one of them can overcome the joker. Um, at this point, with what he's given you, 27 points, 11 boards, and like 8 assists, like he's killing it. <laughs> My man is, is giving you everything. Now, their record's not great. Hasn't been great, but he's been, Jamal Murray hasn't been great. They were without Jeremy Grant this year. Like they've, There's some things that changed around that just, you know, Michael Porter hasn't been the same. He's been kind of up and down. They haven't had uh, Gary Harris, who they ended up trading uh, for Aaron Gordon, actually. Joker has been doing this all year. Harden has been doing it all year too. And so I think the the case for Harden is probably more in that he's been doing this for two different organizations with all the turmoil. Now, the other side of that coin is that he caused the turmoil, so you really can't give him a pass on it. But he's been hooping. He he's balling. What is he having 30? Leading the league in assists? And after all the stuff he went through, I mean there's gonna be a lot of people who are clamoring as we keep going through this thing. Uh, for him to be getting more consideration, especially if the Nuggets start to, t- to fade down, the, down the, the stretch here. We'll see. We'll also know how the NBA likes to market their MVPs, and I'm not sure if Joker has the marketability that they look for, and so who knows how that goes, narrative and all that kind of stuff. See, that's where Harden's, Harden needs to go reach out to Ramona Shelburne and get, get some of that narrative vote, vote there. That's what you need right now. Damien's case is, is, is funny because he does this every year. Whether or not the team is good, it seems almost independent of whether or not Lillard is performing because he's going to perform. They've been banged up. They just got C.J. McCollum back who went off uh, on uh, Thursday night. But his his what he's done for that, it, I think his is like the ultimate narrative base, right? His is kind of a make-do, a make-good for all the years of disrespect that he's gotten up there in the Northwest. I'm not sure that he's he's got the like if he's gonna get the the nod, it would have to be Harden. I don't care if you don't like how Harden handled his business earlier on. He's killing the game. He's doing things. First of all, little sidebar here: the Nets went and got Harden so that KD could rest. Harden can carry them throughout the regular season. They don't need him. They don't need Kyrie or KD for the regular season. Harden got that. What they need 
is those two in the playoffs. And that's what Harden needs. This is a perfect match. So just, just a little sidebar. We'll go, probably go into de- uh, more depth about that later on in another episode. But if Lillard's going to get consideration, Harden has to be the one above that. And, again, both of them are like a couple of rungs below Joker on uh, in, on favorability. They're they're actually under Giannis, who I just – there's no way Giannis is getting another one. There's voter fatigue, and people are just tired of it, and we've seen what he's done after the award when he goes to the postseason. So unless that changes, he probably won't win another one for a while. But I do think it's interesting that – this season, we've gone through MVPs, right? Because I started off talking about it was KD. Or I, I predicted 80. Then it became LeBron's award. Then it was KD. Then it was Embiid. Then it was, yo, like, we're going through them. Rookie of the year, too. Get better soon, LaMelo. But this MVP stuff, man, I don't know if I remember an award that's bouncing around like this um, due to so many guys just dropping out for injury. All the MVPs going down. Like, that's that's insane. It's like a curse this year. Uh, in a, in a, another article I wrote for Clocker Sports this past week was finding fixes for the NBA seller dwellers. And in the article, I actually mentioned the Kings and the Magic, who had two of the, uh, who were on the ends of two of the worst deals. Now, the Kings was just kind of ho-hum. It didn't really make a difference. And that's kind of my issue with them is that they're they're always stuck in neutral. You're just treading water because you don't pick a direction. Are you building with this group? Are you trying to retool this group? Do you even know what you're doing? And so that was the focus on theirs, how they went from being a once proud. Both of these franchises were once really proud and have just fallen on the worst of times. The Kings have been kind of shooting themselves in the foot, right? They build up something and trade it away. They build it up and then trade it away. They build it up and trade it away. And they're in the verge of doing that so again with Marvin Bagley, who despite him not clicking yet, I wouldn't trade him away yet. So they might be lucky that Detroit uh, rejected their offer of Bagley for Sadiq Bay. Bay might be capped as a as a as a twenty two year old. Marvin Bagley's younger than a lot of this current draft class that just came in. It's too soon to give up on him already. So I, I wouldn't go that far. But for the Kings, you don't want this to become another Hassan Whiteside, Demarcus Cousins, right? Isaiah Thomas, where even if they are good there, they go somewhere else and become great or or become really good. I probably shouldn't just go go. I probably should leave great out of it. I just say become really good. But you get my point. People, te- players leave the Kings to become good. They don't stay there and become good. But now they got this dynamic backcourt and De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, who, by the way, self-pat on the back for the Tyrese Halliburton calls I was making before the season. My man's is killing it. But that's another story, too. For the Magic, they're just, they, they first of all, they've lost two of the most dominant big men in history in Shaq and Dwight Howard. They just lost another good big man in Nikola Vucevic yesterday, and they're in another rebuild yet again. I'm, I often say that some of these teams, there are franchises that are just destined to be glorified farm systems. But one of the things that I tweeted out about that article when I shared it, again, it's finding, found, um, examining the foundational issues with the NBA seller dwellers. But one thing that I shared is that they're there for a reason. These aren't just hard luck teams. They're not just happening. Ah, oh, man, there was some bad luck involved. Injuries to Chris Webber, injuries to Penny Hardaway. But what really hurt them is their own decision making. There's no fixing that because the people who have to fix it are the ones who made it. Vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. So as we spoke about at the top of the show, 
or as you heard at the top of the show, Draymond Green was speaking uh, during an interview saying that he feels like he is the best defender ever. You know, I can go all around the league and find good defenders. I just don't think any of them are as good as me. I mean, that's the right attitude to have. Why would you have it any other way? Um, so, in your I think mind, I'm the best. I think I'm the best defender to ever play this game in the NBA. Do you? My 100. That's my opinion. But you know, I I also think I view the game a lot differently than most people view the games. I I think I just see it from a different perspective. You know, and um, I just don't think. You know, I think when you look at the things that make a great defender, uh, reaction time, toughness, uh, being able to see the picture long before it develops, um, um, and most importantly, in order to finish a defensive possession, you got to rebound, and I, you know, I think I rebound well, and so, uh, you know, when I look at all the all the facets that make up the the defensive side of the ball, I think I am, I think I'm great in every facet that makes up that side of the ball. And so I think I'm the best defender to ever play in the NBA. And I stand by that. I'll put myself up against anyone. The initial reaction to him was, oh my gosh, Draymond is out here tweaking. Like, I don't know what he's doing. But my thought is, and then you hear him explain it, and he's kind of, I think he he thinks he's a, maybe he wants to say he's the best all-around player because he was adding some stuff that like rebounding, is that really defensive? Because I think when everybody thinks of defense, they think on ball or, or, or at best or at, at least help defense. They don't really think about rebounding. That's another skill set altogether. But his argument for, for best defender, he went like it's almost – let me say this. He said it, and then it's like he kind of pulled back, waited for the response, and then said it with more authority the second time when the person didn't push back against him to say, okay, well, you might, you know, let me see where I could, where I could take this. Anyway, you don't have to agree with him. Because you can list any number of guys who are who are better on ball defenders, better at the perimeter, better in the paint. Um, maybe he likes the fact that he can do all three. I guess equally, I'm not sure. The bigger picture here is what the hell is he supposed to think? What is he supposed to think? We know he's not a scorer, right? He's a facilitator, but he's that's not like I mean, he's he's good at it. But when they were at their hey, when the when that when it was the the Splash Bros and Iggy was killing, it was. Draymond, the facilitator and the defender, with a timely three. So let's not act like he's out of his mind saying he feels like he's the best defender now ever is lofty. But again, what the hell do you want him to say? Like, <laughs> does Draymond seem like a guy who's who's, you know, ignorant to to the gravity of his words? No. So I would wager a bet that he said that fully understanding the pushback that would come from it. But again, I'm not sure what anybody would expect him to say differently. You're supposed to feel like you're the best ever. You're supposed to, to strive for that level. Uh, th- that confidence is amazing. That's how you get to the, to the level that, that he is. I'm not, I, I, I understand people disagreeing, but the, the, the reaction that he was out of his gourd to say that type of thing is funny to me because again, what the hell is he supposed to think? Ah, oh, man, I'm all right, defender. I'm okay. I do. I do what I can. You want to say you want to be humble? Humble? Fine. I don't. I, whatever. I think that's just a matter of taste more than a necessarily a, a, a knock on him for saying it that way. From an athlete, from a, 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 a again like the top one percent in his profession, right? I just didn't get the the amount of backlash that he got. 
in saying that he thinks he's the best defender ever. Do I agree? Hell no. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I don't agree. <laughs> but that's his prerogative. And again, I totally understand the mindset. And I don't have an issue with him feeling any uh, any other way. So I, I talked about the Bulls and what they made that trade to get Vucevic. And part of what brought that on was the lack of toughness, mentally and physically, from his front from the front court. I wrote a few weeks ago for Pippin Ain't Easy about the Bulls having a bigs problem and that you couldn't work Markin and, and uh, Carter together. Carter had gotten sent to the bench. You weren't getting the rim protection from a quote-unquote good defender. He was making mental mistakes for a guy with a high, high IQ. This is Carter we're speaking on. Um, and so then after the game against the Cavs where the Bulls just got embarrassed by a team without his best scorer, Carter came out and said that they came out flat. They just weren't trying. He was just like, come on, man. Like, he was, wasn't throwing his teammates under the bus. He was definitely making an observation that was very accurate. However, there was a, a, a strong hint of speaking out of turn, something that could have stayed within the locker room, something that kind of felt incomplete in the statement in that, okay, you saw these things, but well, what did you do to fix it? What were you doing to make it better? For the guy, again, he's the anchor of the defense. There's not enough communication out there. There's lapses. He's slow to rotate. He doesn't have the athleticism to make up for mental lapses like that. And then, on top of making them, he's a guy who harbors, who who, who hangs on to every mistake. For Lowry, it's a guy who I think came in with a lot of fanfare and I think is is adjusting to the fact that people aren't always going to love on you. That sheen wears off of being the shiny new toy. Eventually, you have to produce. You teased people a few years ago. People are still referring, and I, myself included, to that, what, 20-game stretch from 2018. I don't know if they're hoping that he can be toughened up by Vucevic. I don't think so. I think they tried to move Lowry and couldn't. And so now they're going to try to help him rehab his value and do something in the offseason. But the book on this team is, is that you can come out there and you can get after them physically, and they can't respond. If you can get physical with the guards and they turn the ball over, because they turn it over anyway, but they turn over more when you get physical. If you can go after these bigs and they can't protect the paint and they're not they're not coming out to, to contest shots, you have no shot. You have no chance to win that way. So the book is out on the Bulls. They made some moves to change it up. Uh, this will be an article I write up for, for Pippin Ain't Easy in that how Woosfish can help that and really how their five out can help that more than anything physicality wise, right? They didn't help the defense in terms of rim protect. I mean, Tice is a good rim protector, but it's not like he's not swatting shots. He's averaging over a block this season. Um, he's not doing crazy numbers, but that'll be the next article I write for Pippen and Easy coming out um, and how they've addressed their lack of physicality because the book was out, man. The book was out. Punch them in the mouth and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to shrivel. They'll wilt. So we'll see how they adjust in the rest of the season and into the playoffs because I think that they're going to be, they can make it up to seven, six, maybe a fifth seed. They can do it. They get a point guard. Man, we're talking about two, three, four territory. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Switching gears. <laughs> Talk a little NFL action. The Cleveland Browns met with Jadavian Clowney and no deal has been made yet. But I will say this. If Jadavian Clowney is signed by the Cleveland Browns and they pair him with Miles Garrett, that's just unfair. I'm not sure if there's a better pass rushing duo um, in the NFL in terms of on the edges. Now you could say that Leonard Fournette or Leonard Fournette, Leonard Floyd, uh, 
combined with Aaron Donald is a really good duo. Yes. Um, I like Bud Dupree and Al and uh Harold Landry down in Tennessee for this coming year too. That'd be something to look out for. But in terms of already producing or what we know about them, Garrett is a producer and Clowney has all the traits. He hasn't put it together ever, but he has all the traits. And I think part of why he, he hasn't put it together because he's just not the alpha rusher. But he is a really good number two. I like to use the term Nightwing. If you're familiar with Batman, you know about Robin, right? His number two. Um, if you're really into it, you know that there's been several Robins. One of those Robins grew up to become another hero named Nightwing. So I often make the comparison to players who aren't alphas, but not necessarily betas as Nightwing because they're not quite that secondary guy. They're not quite, you know, sidekick level. They're better than sidekicks, but they're not quite main events either. They're Nightwing. Really good by themselves, but you're probably going to want Batman to come and save the day to finish it all off, right? That's what you need. That's what, so I think the Bulls got a couple of Nightwings right now. They could could use a Batman. The Bulls, wow. I think the Browns have a, a, a Batman and Garrett, and Clowney can come in and be a really good Nightwing and show off because of the attention that you have to pay to Garrett. The Browns get Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett. Look out. That's a that's a, a tandem that's just unfair. Just unfair. And I'm, I, I kind of want to uh, write something about this and what, what Jadavian Clowney could do next to Miles Garrett because he's been such a disappointment, but I we'll see if I have the time because there's a lot of stuff that I got to catch up on. I'm not even going to lie. I still got to do the the uh, mock draft revision that should come out this weekend. And some of the things that I think I'm noticing is that I don't know if I'm going to put in trades this time, but I might just reflect who I think they're going to pick regardless of what position they're in in the draft. The reason I don't do trades is because so many things can happen. So many extra pieces get moved that change around the math and what actually happens as a result of the trade that I just stay away from it altogether because I don't, I need to sleep. So, uh, and instead I might just go ahead and put players in positions, whether it be in a round early or whatever, but I'm going to assess them that way. Um, a couple of ones that I think are changing. Sadly, I think Mac Jones is going to be going up. I've seen a lot of people saying that the Patriots are going to take him. I'm not sure that he fits behind Cam Newton, but a lot of, who cares? That's not important. What's important is that the Patriots get a quarterback. I think they draft one. I just didn't think they would go up uh, and take one at 15 when there could be. In my mock, my previous one, I had had Kyle Pitts going there. Um, all the talk, though, is that Pitts can go, it's going to go much higher than that and will be off the board. In that case, I would have to say that it's either going to be a receiver or a quarterback for the Patriots. Um, we'll see how it breaks down when I actually go back through it. But that trickle-down effect on that really uh, goes against my Bears because – I had the Bears in my number one picking Mac Jones. You can go ahead and go back and read that on Clocker Sports too. Um, but I had the Bears taking Mac Jones, was sitting at twenty and getting their quarterback of the future, who can learn for a year behind uh, Andy Dalton. Jones actually had his pro day, and his numbers were surprisingly like Mitchell Trubisky. His testing numbers. I'm just saying, not saying he's the same athlete, but they were really similar, like more similar than I think anybody would have expected. Um, so that actually made me feel good about my pick. But then I started seeing everybody saying that he's going to go to the the Patriots and. You know they're setting up to go get their quarterback. If I'm like, hold on, man, like hold, hold on, man, I don't, I need, I need, I need him to to fall because Andy Dalton ain't gonna cut it. Um, that doesn't mean the Bears can't trade up and try and do something. We'll see what happens on draft day. But my point is, there has been some some news uh, after the free agency wave and all that kind of stuff that has adjusted the thinking. So I will go back through and uh, try to release this weekend the mock draft 2.0. Uh, for the first round. I'm not doing seven rounds. I tried it. I tried to start up that hole because I, I said it. I was going to try to expand it for each team. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. There's so, when you get past three, 
right? I'm first of all, I'm in the weeds in terms of players. Uh, but on top of that, like you just never know because who knows who values who um, really past the second round, but especially past the third round. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I will have the mock draft 2.0 first round uh, coming out this weekend. So be on the lookout for that. Also be on the lookout for a resolution to this Deshaun Watson story. Um, if you've heard, he's up to like 24 plus accusers now. All civil trials, no court case, no criminal cases. And so that's caused everybody to be uh, a little bit uh, reticent, I guess, in trying to uh, jump on either side. There's so many flaws and so many holes in both sides of the story that nobody really knows who to believe. Um, so rightfully, people are letting it play out. But it's playing out very publicly. And his lawyers have been on the defensive, but a delayed defensive that I think is just doubly bad like you're you're compounding the negative for negative impact on you because you're not addressing these uh head on and they're just saying something anything like the allegations coming out are wild as hell and people are comparing this to the chad wheeler story where chad wheeler damn near killed his girlfriend seahawks backup reserve practice squad whatever offensive lineman damn near killed his girlfriend and you know you get the reaction why isn't that getting my story why is the sean watson stuff I would compare Deshaun Watson's story more to the the Robert Kraft thing than the Chad Wheeler stuff. Furthermore, the Robert Kraft stuff was a, a sting. This sounds like Deshaun Watson was out here hooking up under the guise of massages. And for whatever reason, now things have gone south. Don't know if there's going to be any ramifications from this. I know it's the league's investigating it. And when the league investigates stuff, that means it's a problem for them and you. But on top of that, now you got the Texans coming out and saying that they're willing to trade him. And I'm confused by all this. Now, I've often said that it doesn't make sense for either side to leak this, for Watson to tank his trade value this way or for the Texans to tank his trade value that way because if he doesn't want to be there, you not trading him is not going to help that. Now, I had said that they were winning this uh, battle. But the, the, the publicity that's coming out from it is not winning anything. No one's winning that part. But to come out and say that you're now willing to trade him. Oh, now that we know all these things. Oh, first of all, you look silly. Because you're just flip-flopping. You really don't have any conviction either way. But on top of that, how bad does it make your organization look that you had no idea that these things were happening with your best player? Like now you're you're blindsided about these allegations and now you're willing to move. Because at first, just a couple of weeks ago, it was no, no. David Culley got up there and had to give that speech about how he was sure Deshaun Watson was locked in because he's their quarterback and that's their plan and blah, blah, blah. And all the other good stuff that you want to hear. Only to turn around and say, you know what? We might trade him. These, these allegations are out here now. They didn't say that part, but I mean, two and two makes four. Just odd time. This whole situation is bad. It needs to be resolved quickly before, you know, Anybody, before anybody can move on and, and actually be better off from it. I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, the Chicago Bears signed Damian Williams. Good signing. Last time we saw him, he was running in the Super Bowl uh, for 100 yards in the Super, Chiefs Super Bowl victory a couple of years ago. Opted out last year for COVID concerns. His mother is a sick uh, lady, and so he did that for her. But the other part about this is the media. And I, I guess I'm guilty of it, too. But we're kind of taunting Bear fans at this point. And I, I bring this up because on ESPN's Get Up, for like the past week, Mike Greenberg, every day, 
has a segment about Russell Wilson to the Bears. So much so that we've gone beyond that in the Twitter and the social media realm. Locally, especially, people are off of that because the Bears went out and did the dummy and, and tweeted out Andy Dalton, QB1. First of all, bless their hearts. I don't know who told them that was a good idea. It wasn't. Um, but they did it. They tweeted it out, and so it happened. Uh, but nobody's talking about Russ. We're kind of not giving up, but just kind of let it go because it's draining. But every day, and it's just I just use ESPN's Get Up as an example. It's on a lot of programs. Russell Wilson Bears. Nothing's resolved. Adam Schefter keeps coming out, and I'm like, you know, at this point, y'all just are 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 milking the third largest viewing market. That's all that is. You just need to, you need you need the eyeballs. At the time when it first got nixed, it was talked about that it wouldn't happen until draft. Now you're just trying to get me riled up before that. I don't need that in my life. And like I said, I'm a little bit guilty of it. But I, I bought it in the beginning, but I've let it go as well in terms of just, you know, hey, matter of fact, the entire time it was happening for last run pro football, I was writing out about how the Bears were setting themselves up. How if they don't do it, they only have themselves to blame. You can only get so excited when it's this franchise. And that's they're one of the ones who I was, like I said, Big market, operating like an expansion team. But the media, man, holy crap with this Russ stuff. And I'm talking big boy stuff now because the Bulls made some moves so I can kind of worry about something else. (laughs) But it's not good. It's not healthy. This fan base deserves better. It's going to be a rough season in Chicago, man. They didn't get Kenny Galladay. The Bears have just been so close. And everything. And I'm like, dude, just stop. And it's, again, the Bears don't leak anything. So stuff, anything that comes out from the Bears, I often feel like they put it out there themselves. And so all these, they were this close. They were really close. Makes me feel like they're trying to win some kind of a of a, of a participation trophy that, come on, fam. You're not getting that. You're just not. Do better, be better. Media, though. <laughs> Let's find a new hot topic because, damn it, this is killing me as a Bears fan. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, website, clockersports.com, email address, clockersports at gmail.com, and of course, read the stuff. Last World Pro Football, Pippin Ain't Easy, and clockersports.com. Until the very next time. I think I'm the best defender to ever play this game.